Money with Gabe Dunn, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. Guys, hold on to your butts because we have a guest that has come up in our mailbag a bunch and people have been requesting because she did the boring episode. I think it was called A Listener Asked to Come On the Show. So go and find that one. Stephanie Lee, do you want to tell the people who you are and what's happened since we did the boring episode? Oh, sure. So I have a a business called Frequently Text Questions, where I help people learn things that they want to know about money, like how to self-prepare their taxes or to better understand retirement saving options, things like that. And since I came on the show last year, I was very inspired by it. So I started a weekly newsletter called The Boring Newsletter. And so if you're interested in signing up, you could do that at my website, frequentlytextquestions.com. And every week I write about something that I think most people would find maybe boring, but I think is secretly awesome. I think of you every time I see those TurboTax commercials that are like, <laughs> Get, don't do your own taxes. And I'm like, I bet this drives Stephanie up a wall. <laughs> Yeah, I think most people probably could do it themselves if they want to. Not everyone wants to, and and that's totally fine. But I think if you're interested, it's, you know, don't, I would say, don't, don't feel intimidated. You can do it. You can learn. And it's a wonderful entry point to learning about other aspects of managing money as well. So that, that's actually, to me, the, the best reason to do it yourself is because it helps you start to feel empowered and, you know, get on top of your own money issues. So I brought you on because I want to talk about debt. So welcome to the boring episode part two. So I have a lot of like shame around debt. I know debt is like a huge trigger for a lot of people. And on your website, one of the third things on the list of what you talk about is debt. So can you explain like what you do for people there and what people are looking for? I totally understand what you mean about feeling shame around it. I'm actually in in the middle of reading this book about the history of debt. And one of the things that the author, David Graeber, writes about is how in all different cultures over the last, you know, multiple thousands of years around the world, there have been these kind of moral ideas around debt which are kind of in conflict with each other simultaneously. This idea that if you borrow money, it's immoral to not pay it back. But then at the same time, people who lend money are immoral, (laughs) right? And so we have these kind of conflicting ideas around it. I think that it's not a very helpful way to think about it when it comes to -to day-to-day, how do I manage my personal finances? I guess that's, I have a kind of a practical approach. And so if someone is in debt and does not want to be, you know, step one is making that decision. And then step two would be making a plan, right? And so, you know, sitting down and making a plan and kind of getting your arms around it, that's, you know, that, that would be the, the program. 
there. What's the first step of making a plan? Right. Yeah. So I think step one is to make a list of all of your debts, right? And so that could be fairly quick to do, or it could be more time consuming, just depending on where someone is starting from. So it would be, you know, what is the loan? Where is it owed to? What is the outstanding balance today? What are the required monthly payments or required minimum payments? And what's the interest rate? Right. So just a list. I have, you know, this visa and it has a $2,000 balance. I have this student loan and it's $3,000. Right. Just what are they? Right. Just to lay it all out. That is step one. Because if you don't know what you're trying to pay off, you can't really make a specific plan for it. I would say step one is cry. (laughs) (laughs) I would say step one, cry. Step two, do that. (laughs) Right, right. Well, I mean, yeah, really step one, it's like deciding that you want to tackle it, right? I mean, that's not something that has to happen on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have like a history of being in debt or like a background in that? I don't. My partner, when we first met, had student loan debt and I think had a lot of shame around it from starting a program that they didn't finish, you know, and we had some discussions around kind of, well, okay, what's the plan? And it it was, you know, so we made a plan and we did the plan. So, okay. So I wanted to do this episode because I have fluctuated so wildly in terms of financial stability. When I left college, I didn't realize how much I had in student loans, which was like around 40 to 50K. And I didn't look into it at all. I wasn't like aware of it. I didn't, I had it on auto pay and I like didn't want to do anything. And it just seemed like such an insurmountable number. And then I didn't get a credit card till I was like 25. And then I was so scared to use it. I just never had any cash really. And my income was fluctuating so much. And I didn't know anything about interest rates, anything like that. Then I, as I got better with, with money into my, I'm not even making more, like I was making more, but I was still bad with money. And then as I got more into learning about money, as I started this show, I was working on paying off my debts and I had, I paid, you know, paid off my student loans, luckily with money that I was making from TV and different like writing jobs and things like that. And then I thought I was in a place where I was doing really well. And I bought a house with a partner. Then me and that partner split up. So in November. So now there's some, you know, legal stuff with the house and the house is no longer like an investment for me. And I feel like I quote unquote backslid. I feel like I went, now I went back and I had some more credit card debt, which was terrifying. I mean, and then maybe there are people that will be screaming at me. I don't know. But I have like my little investments that I was like doing, like my little Apple investment, whatever. Ended up pulling all that money and paid off the credit cards. And now I'm, I have enough money to like keep me going for a, a little while till I get paid again. But I was like, wow, I really like fucked up. I'm really like not as good as I thought I was. I can't believe I'm back in debt. Like, I can't believe like, you know, 
because I was like, well, I've, I've learned everything and I, you know, I, I, there's no way I could ever get back in debt. And I think the big thing is that I wanted to like have you on and I wanted to talk about this openly because I think there are, it's not linear and there are so many ways and reasons that people get back into debt or are in debt and then not in debt or, you know, like I, can you speak a little bit to like the reasons that people get into debt and like what, why it's like not all the same and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it's, I mean, it's almost like saying, well, is everyone's life the same? Like sort of obviously no. Right. And so, you know, it could be something that happens that is just an outside force, right? Medical debt, super common, you know, any kind of a big life change, right? It could be splitting up from a partner, you know, you're living with other family and then you just can't any number of reasons, right? job loss, you or if you share finances with someone in the household, maybe their job loss, car accident. And so you need an emergency repair on your car because without your transportation, you can't get to work, right? I mean, it's just, it. I like, I could keep going, right? Anything that can happen in life, right? Because I mean, money, money kind of touches everything, you know? And so there's all kinds of things and, you know, it doesn't mean you don't know things about money. It doesn't mean you you did bad, right? It just means maybe you didn't have an emergency fund or, you know, I don't know, something else, right? Maybe you're working on it, but you just didn't build it up yet, right? I mean, it just, you know, so it's like you just make a plan and then just start working on the new plan, right? Something changed in my life. Okay, I need a new plan. Okay, this is the new plan you know, I had sort of said, Oh, I don't have experience with debt. I have mortgage debt right now. Sometimes I forget. I don't think of it that way, but of course it is. Of course it's debt. We were in a different home previously and had made a certain amount of progress. We, you know, I have a goal of paying it off earlier than required. And then we moved to a different home and then I kind of had to reset that. Right. And so I guess I could say, Oh, it's backward progress, but it's, I don't think of it that way because we moved to a different area and we love it. And so I'm like, look, I get all these benefits in my life from it. I made a choice, right? I just decided, okay, this is the new plan. Here's the new thing happening in life. Okay. And so it has some financial implications. I went into, I understood it. Okay, here it is, right? If you split up with a partner, I mean, what are you going to say? Oh, the only thing that matters in my life is financial implications of something. I mean, of course not. You know, you have to make the right decisions for your life and then you'll figure out the money stuff, you know, that goes with it. That's, thank you. Can you just, I'm just going to play that clip every time I feel. (laughs) (laughs) We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a new candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. 
One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. It would be so much easier if I was looking for someone to help me with sweetening audio or let's say someone to run my merch shop or all the little things that go into running a podcast. Usually something like that would be so slow and overwhelming. And honestly, I wish I had used Indeed and I will use Indeed in the future. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash badwithmoney right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math and see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Everything is more expensive these days when you're running a business, and you would be wise to find proven ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. The fact that you are able to reduce your IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud is incredible, and the ability to access your cloud financial system from anywhere saves you so much time and stress. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. NetSuite.com slash bad with money. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. You guys know that I have had allergies for forever. I've had seasonal allergies since I was a kid. It causes pressure in my face, under my eyes. They're my ultimate handbrake. When my nose is plugged up, I feel like I can't do anything. I can't enjoy food because I can't taste it. I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even host the show because my voice sounds like a duck. And listen, I am already dealing with vocal strain from testosterone and my voice dropping. I don't need any more problems with allergies. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've been taking Claritin D for allergies like probably for the last 10 years or something, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go outside without my eyes watering like a fountain. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped in my throat. I get really embarrassed when I'm sneezing all the time. I have like an itchy nose or throat, like like just the, the itchiness in the back of your sinuses is like so distracting and so annoying. And I get like pressure in my ears too. It's really painful. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. 
you know, it's funny. I get interviewed a lot, right. For this show. And I just did one where they were like, Gabe Dunn, like show bad with money, started bad with money. And now they're good with money. So tell us what's going on. And I like in the back of my head, know that everything is real fucked up right now. And I'd, so I was like, I have to be honest on this show. Like I can't, because I can't have people thinking like, oh, well now, you know, everything's fine because a big life change happened and I had to move and I had to like, I had, you know, all of these debts all of a sudden. So I also have read in my book, Bad With Money, I talked about this guy who wrote an article for the New York Times where he was like, I am simply defaulting on my student loans. I don't care. I will not, I will not be punished for pursuing education. Fuck off. So can you think like, I, and then sometimes I think for me, like, okay, it's, it's, it's credit, it's like having a credit score. And then it's also like the psychological component. But like you were talking about the history of debt. Like why, why do people think, oh, I need to pay it off? Is there a real tangible reason? You mean like why people sometimes think about it as a moral issue specifically? Yeah. Like, I mean, or why are the moral, what moral reasons? And then is there really a reason what happens to you if you don't pay it? Right. Well, so yeah, I mean, why do people think that it's a moral issue? I don't know. That's a big question. Like, I'm not sure. I think it's just psychological. Like, I think, I guess not moral, but I guess like psychologically, we're taught to feel, oh my God, I'm less than. I I totally, well, I mean, it kind of goes with other parts of dominant culture where people with more money are viewed as better in all kinds of ways, you know? I, I mean, this, I think there's also that, like, you touched on this very practical question of, okay, what's going to happen to me if I don't pay? Yeah, it? tell me what's going to happen to me. Yeah. So the answer to that, it depends on what kind of debt you're talking about, right? So if you're talking about a mortgage for a, a home, in, you know, if you wait long enough, at some point, a sheriff can come and evict you from your house when you get foreclosed on. I mean, that's your worst case scenario. What about if your credit card debt, like you're just a person like me <laughs> living in an apartment? Right. And then it can get, credit cards can get sent to collections. You can start having an unbelievable number of phone calls at your you know, personal phone number, phone calls to your work, maybe. Sometimes, you know, there are stories you'll hear about where someone's, you know, colleague's boss is hearing from collectors threatening things. Sometimes they say things that are not legal, that they're not allowed to say, but they do it anyway, right? You know, just trying to get you to reach an agreement to pay, you know, something on it. credit cards, right? I mean, but the, the first thing that happens is when you stop paying is you start accruing additional interest charges, right? And so, I mean, that's true for, I think, pretty much every kind of every kind of debt. You know, one thing to know about student loans is that those are not dischargeable in bankruptcy. So that means if you decide to file bankruptcy, you go to the court and you say, look, I can't pay my debts, right? And there's a very long, from what I understand, unpleasant process where you have to pay fees to the court and they get information, all kinds of paperwork from you your tax returns, every scrap of paper they need to figure out what kind of debts you have, what your income is, what kind of assets you have. And if the court reaches a conclusion, indeed, you cannot pay your debts, they will wipe your debts 
clean for you, but only for the types of debt that are considered, quote, dischargeable in bankruptcy. So that would be like credit cards are dischargeable in bankruptcy, but student loans are not. And so what that means is those student loans, you're still going to owe. Even if you decide you're going to declare bankruptcy, which is going to screw up your credit for the next 10 years, you still owe on the student loans. And the federal government can garnish part of your wages if you're not paying them. And if you get old enough, they can garnish part of your social security. I once helped prepare taxes for a client who was having her social security garnished because of student loans. So, so it's pretty serious. Yeah, it could be up to 10%. I think it's up to 10% of your wages that they can garnish. What happens when you declare bankruptcy? Well, I mean, other than that kind of general description that I gave, that that's about as much detail as I'm familiar with. But don't they put your name in the newspaper? Oh, yes, it does become a matter of public record. And so I think the details of that probably vary depending on exactly where you live in the country. But yeah, it becomes a matter of public record. It's something that goes on your credit report. You know, if you have a, let's say you're applying for a job and they do a background check, it could come up. If you're applying for any credit in the future, like a mortgage or a credit card, or even sometimes certain utilities, you know, they'll run a credit check. Or if you're signing up for a new cell phone plan, sometimes they run a credit check. You know, there are a lot of situations where it can come up. And so that would show up in all of those different scenarios. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people who have gone through the process often compare it to like losing a loved one, a divorce, you know, some like a very big traumatic life event that is extremely unpleasant that they hope no one else has to go through. What would you say is the second step of of the getting out of debt plan? Right. So if 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 kind of after you've decided if step 1 is making a list of all your debts, step 2 would be making a plan for your money that would include some debt payoff, right? So at its kind of core level, it's I think it's pretty straightforward. It's like you have a job, so you have a certain amount of money that's incoming, and that could be, you know, if it if it's a if it's a steady paycheck every month, then it's steady. If it's variable income, fine, it's variable, right? But you've got your incoming, and then you have your outgoing, right? And so your outgoing money, you're gonna probably want to divide into your absolute required things and then everything else, right? So the absolute required things, that would be your housing, your food, utilities, transportation to work, right? And then everything else, you know, it's probably up for grabs. To me, it's so, it was so easy to get there and so hard to get out of that the number just seems insurmountable. Like with with interest rates, like, is that the order? So I'm looking at like the order in which you pay off various debts. Like the right order is is like whatever has the highest interest rate or is the uh, the right order like medical, credit card, then student loans, you know, like what, or is it just looking at the interest rate? Because I went by interest rate. Right. So yeah, so that people call that the the debt avalanche method. 
Yeah, so there's kind of two common approaches. When someone is making a plan, what is the order that I should work on paying off my debts? And I'll just say up top, the most important thing is that whatever plan you pick, that it it has kind of resonates with you and you like it because if you don't stick with the plan, it's not going to work. So pick a plan that you think works for you, right? But the two common approaches, one would be to list out your debts and you could rank them highest interest rate first and then lowest interest rate last. And so you would start out by saying, okay, I have a credit card loan. It has a 20% interest rate, everything else. I mean, which would be, that's not, that's not a crazy number, right? You know, it has a 20% interest rate. And then my next one is, you know, my student loan and it has a 6% interest rate. And then, you know, everything else is, you know, maybe less than that or whatever is in between, right? So start with that highest one and then you're going to pay the minimums or just whatever is required on everything else. And then all your extra money will go to that first one, right? So let's say you do your budget. It's, you know, X amount for my rent and for food and for everything else. And you have, I'm going to just use round numbers to make it simple. Let's say you have $1,000 a month that you could put to debt and the required minimum on, you know, let's say you have four loans and, and loans two through three and four, the required minimums add up to like $400. Then 600 would go on loan number one, right? And assuming that, you know, let's say the minimum or the required payment on loan number one is like 300, then you would be paying an extra 300 on top of that each month. And you would just keep doing that until loan number one is totally paid off. Then you would take that 600 that had been going to loan number one, you would start throwing that at loan number two and keep paying the, in loan three and four, you're just doing still the, the monthly required amounts right? And then everything on two. You don't want to realize that you're only paying the interest rate. Right. Right. Managing my finances is incredibly stressful and time consuming. I'm sure you guys know you've been with me on this journey. You know how many finance apps I've tried. You know how much they haven't worked for me. And I'm always on the hunt for a finance app that fits my life. And then I tried Monarch. It is so easy to use with powerful features, collaboration tools, intuitive design, personalization, constant product improvements. I really value an app that allows me to do all of this without confusion. And especially important to me is intuitive design and the ability to personalize because clearly finance is not one size fits all. Did you know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce? Monarch, the top rated personal finance app, also has built-in collaboration features so you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Together, you can see all your finances, collaborate on your budget, and get insights on your cash flow and recurring transactions. It's the easiest way to manage your household finances. Are you saving for a down payment, a wedding, a dream vacation? Monarch makes it so easy to help you reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Have you been frustrated with personal finance apps that are cluttered with ads, difficult to use, rarely updated? So was Monarch. They built a new kind of personal finance app that's intuitive and powerful and ad-free and constantly improving based on customer feedback. Experience a personal finance app that prioritizes the user experience above all else. 
Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. Plus, there's ad-free privacy you can trust. We will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash badmoney for your extended 30-day free trial. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans like for a car or a home. You can use it everywhere Visa Credit Cards are accepted. That's right, you can build your credit using your own money. Get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. With a qualifying direct deposit, you can get access to your money sooner. Fee-free overdraft with SpotMe. Overdraft up to $200 without fees with SpotMe when you set up a qualified direct deposit. Just set up a qualifying direct deposit, sign up for SpotMe, and Chime will spot you up to your limit when you make a credit card purchase or cash withdrawal that exceeds your balance. Access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs. That's more than the top three national banks combined. Easily find one near you with the Chime app. Send and receive money. Use Chime to pay anyone, Chime members or not, and cash out your money fee-free. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started at Chime.com slash badmoney. That's Chime.com slash badmoney. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. Yeah, yeah, you need to do extra to pay down that principal, right? And so... Once, you know, you just can't rinse and repeat, right? And so all the extra that you can, you're throwing at whatever is top of your list, right? And so that could be based on highest interest rate, like you said, that's debt avalanche method. And then the other method that a lot of people like is called debt snowball. And that's where you start out with whatever has the smallest balance, the amount outstanding on the loan. And then you get that one done first, and then you go to the next largest, next largest, you do them in that order. And even though from a strictly mathematical sense, you'll pay more in interest, it has a psychological effect on people. You know, you take your littlest loan and you get it paid off and it's like, oh my God, I did it. I got one paid off, right? And it... it, provides this motivation and, you know, a, a feeling of excitement. And so then you, you know, you want to keep going with the next one. Cause you know, what if your highest interest loan is going to take you a really long time? 
if you don't have as much of a feeling of progress, right? I think that feeling of progress is really helpful for keeping up the motivation to get it done. Just one thing, you know, that phrase debt snowball, you're going to hate this. But you know who coined that term? Is it Dave Ramsey? It's Dave Ramsey. No, he's like the boogeyman. I know. Oh my God, you say his name five times and he shows up. Candyman. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Well, wow. Make sure that you're not just paying the interest rate because you can look and be like, oh, wow, I'm really paying this off every month. And it's like, no, you're just paying the interest rate. The loan is exactly the same. Yeah. I mean, in, in that case, then if you're thinking about your budget, it could be a situation where you would say, look, given what I really need to have to cover my most basic expenses and to make progress on paying the debt, maybe you need to look at the income side of the equation, right? And to say, I mean, because, you know, look, it's like there's money that comes in, there's money that goes out, and you've got different levers for each of those, right? And so if you look at your income and you say, okay, you know, maybe I need to try to make more money. What, what would that look like for me? You know, does it mean trying to get a raise at my current job? Does it mean taking on a side job? You know, I, I mean, I, that's going to be different for everyone. But, you know, just kind of knowing like, look, here's something that I want to do. You know, you don't have to become an entrepreneur or something. It, it could just be, you know, a part-time job that you're going to do just for a short period of time while you're trying to accomplish this goal, Yeah, you know? Ugh, so unfortunate. Does it make sense to consolidate loans? People always ask about that. It can be expensive. You know, there can be fees associated with that. I think it probably the answer depends on someone's exact debt situation, some of the specifics there. I think that one thing to keep in mind with that would be to not fall into a trap of feeling like, okay, I did a consolidation. I've made progress on paying off my debt because you're not actually changing the amount of loans outstanding. If you do a consolidation, you're just take reducing the number of loans that you have and maybe changing the interest rate, but the amount outstanding would be the same, right? And so keeping that kind of psychological component in mind, I think that's really important. Yeah. Can you explain, sorry, I said that, but like, can you explain what consolidating means and, and the ways that it's like what the companies are and like how it, how it happens? Yeah. So let's say that you have, you know, two different credit cards that have a balance each $2,000, right? And you want to have, you could consolidate those into one loan that has a balance of $4,000, right? And so, but that's not going to come for free. You're going to pay some fees to make that happen, right? And maybe you're going to get a lower interest rate in the process, right? On the new fourth, you know, you're basically saying, I'm going to have a new $4,000 loan and it's going to replace each of those prior existing $2,000 loans, right? So I'm going to, take my new loan, the proceeds of my new loan, they're going to pay off the old existing loans. And then I'm going to have to pay down the new loan instead. Right. So it's kind of like you're just moving pieces around on a board, maybe you, but you're not eliminating the debt. Right. right? But does it matter if the interest rate is better? It's a good thing to get a better interest rate. 
I would say you might want to think about, well, what's it going to cost me to do a consolidation loan? And how does that compare to the interest that I might save? What would it cost you? Fees from doing a consolidation loan, right? I mean, it's just like if you, for example, refinance a mortgage, you have to pay a transaction fee to do that. And so it only makes sense to go ahead with a refinancing transaction if the interest you will save while the loan is outstanding would outweigh the fee, right? It's kind of like that, right? And so it's, it's kind of a math question. So, you know, and it's an, it, takes, you know, it takes effort to do it as well, right? And so depending on someone's debt situation, they might want to just focus on how can I pay it off? right? How can I take all my effort and energy and think about how can I just pay this off? So here's, here's maybe a thing that I thought of that is, is you're going to tell me is bad. What if you have a credit card that has like a 14% interest rate and then you open another credit card that has zero and then you pay, you use that credit card to pay the other credit card. And then you have like a balance transfer. Yeah. What about that? Yeah. So that, that's fine. You, and, and if, if you say, look, scenario one, I have a 14% credit card. I'm going to pay it off over the next year. I'm going to pay, you know, X amount per month to get it paid off. And then I, I take scenario two. I do the balance transfer. You have to know if there are fees to do that, right? And then I'm going to do that exact same plan of paying X amount a month to pay it all off. If the interest you would save in scenario number two is more than whatever the balance transfer cost, then great, that's a good plan. But don't trick yourself into thinking I did the balance transfer. And so all, therefore my work is done. No, your work is not done. <laughs> the work is actually paying down the balance. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's not a terrible idea. It's a fine idea. Just don't trick yourself like, okay, and now I'm done. <laughs> right, right, right. I was thinking about like, I was like, well, you could do a balance transfer. Then you have a year, it's a new credit card. So you have a year of like free, not free, you have a year of no interest rates. And then, but I guess that's just sort of running from the initial problem. Yeah. I mean, look, it, I think it can, it's, it can be a good part of a plan, right? But it's not the whole plan. Does that affect your credit score at all to close the one and then open the other one? It can, that might be fine. Mm -hmm. Right. And then also keep in mind there, it, there is a difference between paying off the balance on a credit card versus closing the account entirely. You know, you could have a credit card where you pay it off. You could even cut up the plastic piece of plastic and the account is still open, right? You could take a credit card, you could put it in a drawer. You could cut the card in half if you want to make sure you're not going to use it again, but the account could still be open. You can always call them. They'll mail you a new one right away. (laughs) They'll be happy to mail you one if you want, (laughs) but so if you want to leave the account open and not use the card, that is definitely fine. Also, if you want to close it, that's fine too, right? I, you know, I, I think people worry about credit scores a lot and sometimes when they don't need to, it's, it's almost like 
if you just live your life and try to work on having good finance practices, the credit score, usually it's going to just take care of itself. Yeah. You know, like if you're worried, if you're, if the thing that's on your mind is I want to get out of credit card debt, well, are you going to be applying for more credit cards right now? Maybe, maybe not too much, you know? And so in which case does your credit score really matter? No, you just do the one and then balance transfer. (laughs) And then next year, do it again. And then next year, do it again. That's galaxy brain, baby. Yeah, yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So what are trade lines? Oh, trade lines? Yeah, so that's, have you ever heard of someone where they are an authorized user on a credit card? Like there's a, maybe it's like a married couple and one of them has a credit card because the credit card can only be in one person's name, right? Unlike a bank account where you could have like a joint account, credit card is just in one person's name. So Let's say I want my partner to be an authorized user on the account. That means they get a credit, a physical credit card in the mail with their name on it, but it's still this, it would be my credit card that they're using, right? The one account. And I would still be responsible for paying it. I could give my child, I could make my child an authorized user on the account. I could make you an authorized user on my account if I wanted to, right? It's, you know, it doesn't have to be someone that's related to you in some way. You could just decide, oh, I want to do that. Um, This stems from a time when my understanding is in the U.S. from a time when a married woman was not allowed to have a credit card account of her own. And so they came up with this way where she could be an authorized user on her husband's credit card. So I remember when I was in high school, I had a teacher who told me about this. So after she got married, she wasn't allowed to continue having her credit card. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. So that that's the origin of, I think, of this, this whole authorized user thing. And that is just a different way of saying a trade line. So like if I made you an authorized user on my account, let's say I've had that credit card open for 10 years, right? One of the factors that goes into someone's credit score is the length of their credit history. And so let's say you only had credit cards that had been open an average or credit accounts open an average of like two years. 
having a longer term account, like 10 years, that would be helpful for you for including that in your average. And so if I make you an authorized user, then that history would get kind of imported into your credit history. So that's why sometimes a parent will make their child an authorized user because it helps the child build a credit history, right? This term trade lines refers to it. It's actually something people sometimes even sell their trade lines. People, other people will buy them. What? Right. So if someone is, yeah. So if someone is looking to buy, you know, kind of a quick solution to improving credit, like if they're going to apply for credit and they want a fix like that, you can actually pay money to have someone, you know, add you as an authorized user and get the trade line. Who? What? How do you do? Who? Who? (laughs) Well, let's see. Like, I think... There's a Craigslist of trade trade lines? No, like, so like there's a firm, Trade Line Supply Company is one that I'm familiar with. And who, who is the person selling it? And how much are they selling it for? And how, and how does that not bite you in the ass? So the person who purchases the trade line, they don't actually get a credit card in the mail necessarily, right? Like the, whoever is selling it could make that decision. And they could also say, okay, this person is an authorized user on the account, but their spending limit is zero dollars. Like you could do it. Yeah. Like you could do it that way. Oh my God. This is news to me. Yeah. No, this is actually, you kind of hit on something that's kind of obscure. (laughs) Um, I think a lot of people aren't familiar with it, but it it does exist. That is so wild. And, and God, I hate our country. That is so wild. So Man, is that, how much are they selling them for? Is that a source of income for me? How much are they selling them for? Well, so you, you, the person who's buying it would only be interested in buying it if your credit is superb. Mine's great, I think. Yeah, so, so that would be one thing. And then typically you would want a credit card that's been open for like probably a minimum of two years, but the more the better. And so, yeah, it might be like, oh gosh, I don't know, something like three or $400, something in that range. I thought you were going to say thousand. No, (laughs) I think typically no. How many people can you have on a trade line? You know, so the credit card companies don't like this. Oh, you think? Right. (laughs) Yeah. They, they frown on this because they, it kind of is messing with the whole premise of like, what is it? What does someone's credit report show? What does it mean? You know, that kind of thing. And so it's one of these activities where it's not illegal. It's kind of like counting cards. It's like, it's not illegal, but the casinos hate it and they're going to try to stop it. Right. And if, if a casino thinks you're counting cards, they're just going to kick you out. Right. I think that's how trade lines are with credit cards where, you know, if you're, if you're having maybe one authorized user maybe two at a time. And then you kind of, you keep them on the account for, I don't know, six, nine months, whatever it is that they need to kind of build that history. Then you can remove them. And then maybe at that point, wait a month or two, do it again. You know, that kind of a thing. (laughs) The bank is like, just person keeps breaking up with people. Well, and the risk would be if you're doing this too much and the, the bank observes that activity, they might cancel your card. Got it. That would be the risk, right? Oh, 
You so. learn something new every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't we don't endorse it, but we sure are talking about it. Final outgoing thoughts of like if someone is in a lot of debt, I read too much true crime. And it's just like debt seems to be a thing that motivates a lot of murder. And like it just because I think it's just so it feels so insurmountable. Like what what can you do if you're listening to this and you're like, I have $60,000 in just credit card debt. Like, I don't fucking know, man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the whole, the whole start out by making a list step, that's a really big step, right? Because what that's saying is to look at it like kind of square on, right? I mean, a lot, I think a lot of people don't really even know what they have, right? So I think that's a step one. And if you've done it, you know, making a plan to start working on it, your plan is not going to stay the same for like two years, right? You're going to make a plan. You're going to see how it goes. And then you're probably going to have adjustments that you make, right? You know, like if, if part of the plan needs to be, and you know, it's not true for everyone, but it's usually true. If part of it needs to be working on the expense side, working on the outgoing side, right? Changing up, spending on things other than, you know, than the strict requirements. Well, you probably want to start tracking your spending a little bit. It's like financial mindfulness, right? And pay attention and say, you know, you could look back at a few months of bank statements, credit card bills, and just figure out like, what am I, where is it going? right? Because you might not know, you might have some surprises. Usually when people do that, they end up spending less money without really explicitly trying to, because all of a sudden they're just paying attention to it and thinking about it more, right? Like usually if you focus on something, you end up being more successful at it, right? I mean, that's just natural, right? Like if you're really paying attention, you're going to get where you want to more quickly. So. I think, you know, starting to pay attention to, okay, where is it going is really important. And then you're going to start making adjustments to your plan, which is, that's another word for budget, right? By the way, it's just plan, (laughs) which it doesn't have to mean like, oh my God, austerity, right? You can, part of your plan can be spending money on some things that you enjoy, right? And you should have some enjoyment in a budget, right? You should have some, okay, I just paid off a thousand dollars. I'm going to treat myself to, you know, whatever gives you joy, you know, a fancy latte, a manicure, a massage, you know, whatever it is, right? You get to have a, you get to have a treat, right? New sneakers. Yeah. New sneakers. Some kind of a, something nice that's like affordable for you, but is still like nice and awesome. Right. And, you know, so have the milestones built into that, but I think having a plan, see how it goes, pay attention to where the money's going, and then make adjustments, right? And don't feel shame about making adjustments. No, no, that's normal. Making adjustments is normal, right? It's, you know, I don't know, it's kind of unrelated, but I I was hearing someone talk about like COVID safety and they were saying like, look, you know, maybe you were doing things before where you didn't take any safety precautions. And then now you realize like, oh, actually, maybe I should. They were like, it's okay. You know, just start doing it. It's fine. You know, 
Yeah. I have to just stop looking at things as linear and being like, this is backsliding. This isn't backsliding, you know? Right. Yeah. And I mean, life's not, life is just life. You know, that is true. It's hard. It's a hard (laughs) thing to, to come to realize weirdly, but yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for returning. I really appreciate it. Where can the listeners find you and find out more about you? Oh, sure. Yeah. So thank you so much for having me. I'm sorry. Some of this discussion was kind of dour. No, this is what we like. (laughs) This is what we like. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, people can find me at my website, which is frequentlytextquestions.com. Thank you. No, thank you. Bad With Money with Gabe Shane Dunn is a production of Noted Bisexual, produced by Melissa D. Montz and Diamond M. Print Productions, edited by Diane King. Post-production sound by Coco Lorenz and music by Mike Kaplan, Zach Sherwin and Jack Dolgen as sung by Sam Barbera. Thank you. Love you. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.